0: Well, if you have a Bible, I'd like for you to join me in the book of Ephesians and the sixth chapter. Um, we've been studying through the book of Ephesians and, and taking some breaks here and there, but we want to continue to study through it. So Ephesians chapter six is where we're going to go to. I, I believe God's word is the authority. And so I believe the healthiest way to study the Bible is to study books of the Bible and to let God set the uh, structure, set the standard, set the schedule, if you will. So as we've studied through it, we've come to this text about children. Now, a quick timeout I've got to say is as soon as you see the title, some people in the, uh, uh, the assembly this morning might be able to say, just go on and check out, and I'm not in that stage of life anymore. I mean, I've raised my children, or I don't have any children. That's not for, for me, but I just want to remind you what the Scripture says. All Scripture is profitable. So we want to study the Word of God. Uh, primarily for, for it to reveal who God is, we do want it to study for how it affects our lives, of course. But we always want to take it through, the first of all, the lens through, what does this say about God? So that's why all Scripture is profitable. That's why studying the Bible about what it says and how to raise children is profitable even for people who aren't raising children because you'll learn about how God is. So I just want to give you that word on the front that we're going to do this and we're going to study through this text and it might take us more than one Sunday. And I just don't want you to mentally check out and say, well, I'll I'll check back in once we get back something that's for me. All the word of God is for you because it's talking about God. Now sometimes in America, because we're consumers and we're an individualistic society, we take this, like we, we treat God's word sort of like we go to the grocery store and we go down an aisle and we say, all that stuff over there is not for me. Where's the ice cream? That's my aisle. That's where I'm going to go. That's for me. That, the, those greens, those vegetables, those, that's not my aisle. So uh, sometimes you treat the word of God that way and say, well, this text is not really for me. Here, all of this is for us. Particularly in the context of a church family. Again, we're a church. We're not just individual people coming here to study the word. This is how it interacts with all of us. And we all have a vested interest in the children of the church. How many times do you read in the Old Testament it says, pass this on to the next generation. And that's an important word for us because studies are showing that there are not a lot of the next generation that are sticking with the church and so this text that we're going to come, come to I think is going to be the primary remedy for that issue and so let's let's read it together Ephesians 6 verses 1 2 3 and 4 children obey your parents in the Lord and all the parents said amen, amen. for this is right Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. All the children said, okay. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And the whole church said, amen. Let's pray together. Father, help us. We thank you that when we talk about children and parents and family and fatherhood, that we have a perfect example in you. your perfect father. Pray for the children in the church family, that they'll honor their mom and dad. They'll obey them. Your word says, for this is right. It's the way that you've designed it. It's the way that you've structured it. Now help us to um, be teachable this morning. As a dad with little children in my own home, I, I want to know what you are saying in this text. And then I pray for those who either raise children that are gone from their home or never had children, all the different issues, Lord, that you speak from this text in such a way that it's applicable for all of us, no matter what our walk or season of life may be. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're studying, first of all, in the book of Hebrews this morning, about not giving up, you know, and holding fast to the confession. There's a place that I face constant temptation to give up, it's, it's located at the YMCA. It's called the elliptical machine. I mean, as soon as I get on it and get going, I want to just quit. And it says, you've only been on it for two minutes. And I say, that can't possibly be true. There's got to be a short circuit in here. I know I've been on it at least 20 minutes. So one of the things that I've begun to do is I take my iPod and I listen to things that kind of take the mind off the fact that I can't hardly breathe, you know. So, so I'm listening to this. And one of the radio shows that I, or podcast on my iPod that I listen to fairly regularly is called This American Life. It's a radio show that's produced on out of Chicago, and they have some neat human interest stories. And, and this past week, I was uh, listening to a story was about uh, two families in Wisconsin. Their names are the Millers and the McDonald's. And in a small town in Wisconsin, uh, the, the two moms in the family, they were acquaintances. They, they weren't best friends or anything, but they were drawn together because... Uh, They were both expecting daughters about the same time. And lo and behold, they both had little girls on the same day in the same room within minutes of one another. For uh, the McDonald's and the Millers, uh, uh, something happened. Mrs. McDonald went home with her little girl and Mrs. Miller went home with what she thought was her little girl. And then not long at home... Mrs. Miller realized, this isn't my little girl. But the moment that she realized that she had a huge health crisis, had a huge amount of hemorrhaging, and had to be rushed to the hospital and spent the next two or three months in the hospital, and even after she got out of the hospital, it was kind of touch and go there for a little while. And so before she knew it, nine months had gone by, and this little girl that's not her little girl was in her home. And she knew it the whole time, the mom did, And and her husband knew it. I know this sounds strange, but they decided that they weren't going to do anything about it. The reason for it was that the doctor who had delivered the child, they, they, they figured that this is going to shame him if we bring this to light. And what he was doing, he was, a, he, was a, he was a friend of theirs and knew this some of the struggles that they had had, so he was kind of providing free health care for them. And so they didn't want to embarrass him. And they let this situation go on for 37 years. Until Mrs. Miller just couldn't take it any longer. Now here's the here's the strange thing: the the Millers, all brown hair, all brown eyes, and then they have a little girl, blonde hair and blue eyes. And then the other family, they all got blonde hair and blue eyes, but now they've got a little girl, brown hair and brown eyes. Now uh, the Miller family studious. Their mantra at their home is, "We're going to work hard. We're going to get education." And now they've got this little girl, and of all things, she wants to be a cheerleader. And she cheers in high school. Her family doesn't really come. They, they're just not interested in that. And then this other family, they're athletic. They're into competition. And now they've got this little girl, and she's not good at any sports. And so it comes to, they're, they're 37 years old when Mrs. Miller can't take it anymore. And so she writes a letter to these little girls And to the other girl's mom, explaining the situation. And the other mom won't believe it. And she doesn't believe it until she sees a picture of Mrs. Miller's husband beside a picture of the little girl, Sue, that she's raised and puts the pictures side by side and her mouth drops and says, I don't know what to do. Can you imagine? Now, I'm sitting there on the elliptical about to pass out, one, because I'm on the elliptical, and two, just thinking through your mind, that affects everything. And every one of us in the room can, can relate to the story because our family affects everything about us. It affects how we look, yes, but it affects everything. What we love and what we like, and, and the home that you were raised in, man, it has implications that we'll never get to the bottom of. Personality and habits and work ethic and entertainment. Everything about us is so molded. And then these two little girls, even though they'd never been uh, with their biological parents, it's amazing once they realized who they were that they go to them and they have this innate understanding that I belong to 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 you, these these the family that you come from, man, it affects everything. So when when Paul's writing here, he remember he's writing to the church, and then he begins to address this issue. Here's the good news for those of us who've been born again. Praise God, our family affects everything about us. What our Father has done on our behalf, it affects everything. About us So Paul begins to write this, and, and he's framing it now here, because he understands these children we all know this, right? These children are not going to always be children. Uh, th- th- this season of life, I know for us right now. The baby starts screaming, and it's three in the morning, you say, "Will this ever end?" Grandparents in the room answer the question, "Will it ever end?" Yeah. And it happens really, really fast. And we don't think that. You don't think that in this, this moment. but so, so Paul, there's an urgency to it. So he gives two admonitions to children, two admonitions to parents. Let's just take them. We're going to primarily talk about one admonition he gives to the parents. So he says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Children, have you ever heard your mom and dad say something? Do this, and you say, why? And they just say, because I told you. They've got a proof text for that. It's Ephesians 6, 1. Now, uh, we'll, we'll talk about this. It's going to uh, work the same way marriage does where it says the wife is to submit to the husband. The Bible's talk, talking to the husband. You've got to act in such a way to, to, to mirror Christ, and that's, that's the basis of the, of the submission. In the same way, you know what well, the easiest way for children to honor their father and mother, according to verse 2, is to be honorable. Make it easy for them. You don't want to make it hard. So honor your father and mother. So it talks about an action, obey, and then it talks about an attitude, honor. So those are the two things for children action. Obey your parents in the Lord. Because this is right. Why is it right? It's the way the Lord designed it. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now if this were the uh, Southern United States translation, it would say that it may go well with y'all and that y'all may live long in the land. It's talking about the plurality. So now it says, fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we're in Ephesians. Go to the right, two books to the book of Colossians. Let's flip over. Probably about four pages to flip over. Ephesians chapter 3. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children so okay same phrase fathers do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged so two things paul's saying you got to be on the warning about when your children one is anger do not provoke them to anger and then number two he just says do not provoke them i think the anger is implied and the result of that is that they become discouraged so here here right off the bat parents fathers um the, the word there translated fathers, it is the masculine, it is talking about fathers, but it is a word that in other contexts is, is used about parents in general. So I would say to you, I, I do think there's an emphasis on fatherhood, but also in parents, parents, fathers, just hang, do not provoke your children to anger. And then the contrast, but raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're given two admonitions, children, two for children, now two for fathers, parents. One, don't provoke your children. That's one. And then two, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we're going to take them one at a time. So let's talk this morning about not provoking children to anger. The most dangerous thing that can develop in the heart of a child is anger. Many of the issues that we're facing in a culture, you get the newspaper out and read and here's the the problems. Many of them, most of them, are the results probably of children growing up under the, the baggage of a lot of anger. Now, uh, the, the adult who lashes out, and you, you, you pull that thread back, and we all know this. And sometimes it's hard to peel back the layers. But what usually comes up is something that happened in childhood. Most of the time, something that happened over and over and over again that produced in the child anger they became discouraged, not brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, and then acted out. So let's talk about it for a few moments this morning. If you've got an outline and want to follow along or want to fill in the blanks, uh, let's talk about, first of all, just broad, what causes anger in a child. If you've got to outline that very first statement. Anger in children is most often caused by three things, fear, frustration, And hurt. I know that kind of sounds like a statement that Yoda makes in Star Wars, right? The dark side is the result of fear. So he's got a little bit of insight, I think. Uh, But this is what causes anger in children. Fear, frustration, and hurt. And again, particularly if these are regular occurrences in a child's life. If there's something in a child's heart that's continually producing fear, continually producing frustration, or continually producing hurt, that is a seed that when it springs forth, it's going to produce anger. And what we want to ask is, okay, understanding that, how do we not do that, right? The Bible says don't do this. It's asked a simple question. Okay, what, what does provoke anger in children? By extension, what does produce fear or what does produce frustration or what does produce hurt? Now, on the front end, what I want to say about this is we're going to give principles. We're not talking about um, in every scenario. These are, these are principles, because here's the good news of the gospel. No matter what is in the past, God has rest, restoring power in the present. Now, we do want to guard as much as we can the children that I'm raising in my home. I'm, here's how I'm coming at it. Here are some things that I don't want to do so that I'm giving my children an accurate picture of God the Father. So let's, so, so I just want to say that on the front end. We're not here to... Put a lot of guilt on any parent's shoulders or so on and so forth so let's let's talk about it though children are provoked to anger by we're going to talk about nine things so let's just take them one at a time the first one children are provoked to anger by number one the absence of a parent the absence of a parent if a parent chooses not to be there the child is left with a real simple question you know what the real simple question is why why are they not here what did I do? What, what are they choosing? There's something that uh, Children are pretty smart, right? Can we all agree with that? I mean, they, they pick up on things really, really fast. And so in a little, in a little child's mind, if a, if a parent's chosen not to be present, the, the child says, well, why? And children are smart, but they can't understand all things. So they begin to say, what did, what did I do? What's more important than being with me? Now, go back up to your list, the things that cause anger in a child. The first one on the list was fear. And the absence of a parent, that's what produces in them, is fear. They're, they're not here. They're not going to provide for me. They're not going to protect me. I've noticed this about children. You know what children love? They love to be loved. That's why some of us, we love. When, when a new baby comes to the church, oh, man, we line up. We get in a line, but it's single file. We're going to start doing this. single file line. And there's the baby. And we love to get in that baby's face and just goo and gah and make silly faces. We don't do this with other people. You know, you don't see it at the greeting time. We just, we just do this with children get there and make silly faces, because the child starts laughing back. And there's nothing cuter than that, right? I mean, and, and don't, you, you don't want to leave. You just want, children love to be loved. And when the parent's not there, they're confused. Nothing tells a child that you love them quite like time. One person said, and I've always remembered it, that children spell love, T-I-M-E. Now we learn learned this from grandparents. Grandparents, have you noticed this? They've got all the time in the world. Well, you, read that, you, you ask a parent, will you read that story again? The parent's exhausted. They're like, no, I'm not going to read that story. You ask grandma, will you read that story again? Yes. Why? Because a, a grandparent has the, the advantage on the parents of experience. They've learned the lesson that it goes by really fast. And so what they've learned is what I'm going to give most to this child is my time. Here you go, Grandparents. Proverbs 17, 6, grandchildren are the crown of the aged. That's what my translation says. I'm just telling you, if you're grandparents, I'm not saying that you're aged, but that's just what the the Bible says. I noticed I didn't hear anybody say amen. They didn't want to volunteer for that one. That's why children love going to grandma's house. Grandma doesn't have a dozen other things to do. She has one thing to do. She'll let the phone ring, and she doesn't even know how to text. That's what children love the most. They go to grandma's house and she's going to talk to me. Uh, Hebrews 13. Let's look at that together. Hebrews 13 verses 4 and 6. Let's do Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from the love of money. Some parents are absent because they love money too much. They're always going after it. So, so, so keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, and this is good news, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now notice this. Notice the connection. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not, what's it say? I will not fear. That's what it produces in a child's heart if the, if the parents are present. The the goal, of course, is the parents are cultivating in a child an understanding of who God is. And if a parent's not present, it's very hard to teach a child about a God who will never leave them or forsake them. Do you notice what he says? Because we know God will never leave us or forsake us, we say confidently, He's my helper and I will not fear. So first thing that will produce anger in a child is if parents aren't Doing that, I will not fear. And some parents can be absent even when they're physically present. I mean, they they can be in the room, but far away at the same time. So what your child needs is attention. I know it can get annoying. Uh, Trust me, I know. But what they need is time. What they need is is you need to set aside some time. Sometimes, especially I think dads feel this way, I'm not getting anything accomplished. If I spend this afternoon with Abel putting together a Lego Star Wars toy, I didn't get any boxes checked. Oh, well, that's a that's a condition of my heart. That's in the wrong. You know what I what I was able to accomplish? Because this is somehow men think got to get something accomplished. I accomplished cultivating in his heart a lack of fear that he's going to be able to say confidently, "Daddy loves me." And the reason I know Daddy loves me is because he was with me. Aren't we glad that we can say on the authority of the word of God, he will never leave us or forsake us. He's our helper. We don't have anything in which to be afraid. Well, we got eight more, so let's get going. Number two, second thing that might produce might produce uh, anger in a child is unreasonable expectations. Now, we better have some expectations of our children. In fact, Ephesians 6.1 gives us an expectation of our children. They should obey us Right, especially in the early years. That's what you want to be cultivating in the children that they obey. But I don't want to have unreasonable expectations. That provokes anger in a child. I do not want to go to Abel's ball game and say, why did you not hit a home run every time that you got up to bat? Right? You don't want to have unreasonable expectations. Go with me to Psalm 103, just so you know we're not making all this stuff up. We want to base this on what God's Word says. Now, you want to hold high standards for your children. I think you want to hold high standards in manners. I teach my children to say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Have expectations. But you don't want them to be unreasonable. Look what the Bible says about God in his relation to us. Psalm 103, beginning in verse number 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Now, that's good parenting. He will not always chide. He does sometimes, but not always. Nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Amen. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as east is from west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion for his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are Dust. The Lord does not expect us to do what we cannot do. The Lord does not expect us to save ourselves. Did you know that? The Lord did not, does not expect us to have a righteousness of our own. He does not have unreasonable expectations. He's a, he does not expect for us what he knows that we cannot do. So second thing that can produce anger in a child is unreasonable expectations. Number three is being criticized especially in front of others. There's a difference between correcting and criticizing. You correct behavior. You criticize character traits. Those are different things. You don't want to criticize their, their character, especially in front of others. You want to correct their behavior. I took Abel to pre-K the other day. I'm just confessing to you some of my shortcomings. And he ran on ahead of me. He gets excited, man. He gets to pre-K and we get out of the car. and He took off running. and He ran all the way to the class. And left me in the dust. And that's why I'm on the elliptical primarily, so I can keep up with him. But he read all the way ahead of me. And I got there, and he's already unpacking his bag. And I said, Abel, I need, you to, need to talk to you. So if I'm going to correct my child, here's, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm taking them away from the other people, and I get down on my knee. And I, and I don't think I use my mean voice, but I could tell as I spoke to him, his face, he's excited to be at pre K. Something happened in his countenance. It reminded me of the passage that talks about Cain, his, his face fell. And I said, Abel, you ran ahead of me. I've told you not to. And his face, he, he just started to shrivel up. It's like if he could have disappeared in that moment, he would have. Now, I had taken him away from the others, but we were still kind of near the door. And I said, okay, you can go on back into your classroom. And he took one step and totally broke down, sobbing. Talking about, talking about the, the, the sobbing that you can't even breathe. <laughs> so there's a bathroom there. I said, Abel, let's go in the bathroom. Picked him up, stood him on there. And I just held it for a minute. Shirt all wet and everything else. We don't have any tissue, we need all that stuff. So I said, Abel, what's wrong? What, What happened? And he doesn't have the vocabulary to explain it, but I understood what happened. He'd been humiliated in his mind. He's totally embarrassed. He thought I had corrected him in front of all the other children. And now he's got to turn around and go back into that room with all those eyes looking at him. That's in his mind. Now that's not what had happened. Because I was working on this sermon. I mean, you know, I'd written down number three, being criticized, especially in front of others. So when I, you know, when he disobeyed, I, I, I tried to get him off to himself. That's what you want to do. Sometimes you've got to take him to the other room, sit down, so that a child's not being humiliated. Do you know what a child who's humiliated feels over time? Anger. And he, he gets angry. And then he'll begin to lash out in front of others. People. So we don't want to criticize in front of others. I won't make you turn there. Parable of the prodigal son. What we're trying to do is is connect all these to the character of God. The parable of the prodigal son, there comes a time, the Bible says that when he came to his senses and he realized what he'd done was so foolish. He'd taken the money and he'd gone to a foreign country and he'd spent it all in prodigal living. And then when he had nothing else, he hired himself out to a farmer and started feeding pigs and wanted to be fed with all that stuff. And then the Bible says that he came to himself. And he said, what am I doing? I'm going to return to my father and become like one of my father's servants and then I'll have enough to eat. The Bible says while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that his father ran to him and embraced him. And you know what the Bible's saying in that culture in that day, what the father is doing is he's protecting his son from all the shame. So in that day, a boy returns to that community after what he'd done, they'd have the tomatoes ready if not worse, if not having the baseball bat ready after he had dishonored his father the way that he had. And the very one who's been dishonored is the one who's covering him. There is a lot of shame and a lot of guilt that is the result of our unholy, unrighteous sin. But Jesus Christ has offered himself, and this is what the Bible teaches, that he covers our shame. We heard it, Psalm 103, as far as east is from west, so far has he removed Fathers, we've got to be in the habit of removing the transgression from them. Not that we're not holding them accountable. Not that we're going to say what's right and wrong, but we're not heaping it on them over and over. We're covering them. Abel in that day of pre-K felt humiliated. If that happens over and over, it produces anger. good news is the Lord's taken all our shame on himself. This is the gospel. Well, let's keep going. Practice grace with your children at times. Number four, what produces? We'll try to move more quickly. Number four, not being listened to. Not being listened to. Now, as a dad, I expect my children to listen and obey me. I am the authority. I'm not going to allow them to manipulate me or to whine and to complain. Let's, Let's be clear. Children are not morally neutral. They're not clean slates. We're born unrighteous and ungodly. They need to be corrected, left to themselves. They'll destroy themselves. But that doesn't mean we don't Listen to them. Matthew 7. Here's what the Bible says about God. Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him, will give him bread? For bread we will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, we will give him a serpent. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give, give good gifts to those who ask him? It's teaching us that God is available to listen. Ever gone to God in prayer and heard him say, No, 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 no I don't have time for that right now. Never heard that always available, be, to be listened to. Now, it doesn't mean when, when I'm about to discipline my children and they say, but, 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 I listen to them, but I still will correct them. But I want them to know that they can always come to me because a child will learn, daddy doesn't listen to me. A, a little girl will learn, daddy doesn't listen to me, and here's what's going to happen. That little girl whose daddy doesn't listen, she'll go out and find somebody who will. And that usually doesn't go very well. So, so you want to be listened to to listen to your children. Number five, parents who do not admit mistakes. Reality check, we're not all perfect. We make mistakes and sometimes we make big mistakes. So get into practice. I'm sorry I should not have raised my voice like that. I'm sorry that I got angry. I'm sorry I forgot your birthday. Now don't do that one, right? Remember the birthday. But, but be in the habit of admitting Mistakes. I do not have a text to relate this to God because he's never made a mistake. So he doesn't admit mistakes. He's never made any. But we're not like him in that regard. We have to be in the habit of admitting our mistakes. Hey, our family tree goes all the way back to a crooked farmer and a drunken sailor, right? Adam and Noah. So we got got some mistakes. We can't deal with our ancestors, but we can deal with our dependents. And one of the healthy ways to do that is to admit mistakes. Number six being compared to others don't ever 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 use the phrase why can't you be more like that produces anger in a child John 21 don't turn there but right after we studied this last week right after Jesus restores Peter right Peter do you love me you know I love you Peter do you know we did that whole thing right after that Peter goes and talking about the apostle John says what about him Jesus what are you going to do with him what's Peter doing He's comparing himself to John. Man, John stayed there to the end. I didn't stay there to the end. And now, and there's something in our minds constantly going, how do we measure up? How do we measure up? And if a parent throws fuel on that fire, it can produce a lot of anger in a child. We'll keep moving, keep moving quickly. Number seven is inconsistent discipline. Discipline in the early years will save you a lot of trouble later. You're supposed to say amen. (laughs) Discipline in the early years will save you a lot of trouble later. And man, this is hard for me. Here's what the proverb says: He who spares the rod, what spoils the child. Let me give you a little Hebrew lesson. That Hebrew lesson, that Hebrew verb "spoiled," you hear it and you think like it's milk, like spoiled milk. That's not what the word is at all. Better translation would actually be: He who spares the ch- the, the rod destroys the child, destroys the child. And we think, man, I'm going to spank him. That's going to hurt. That's going to mess him up. Well, the Bible says you don't do it. You're really going to mess him up. Now it's not fun being a parent's hard work. If you're going to be a parent, you're not going to be able to do a whole lot of other things. I mean, it's going to take up most of your time. And at our house, we don't have a lot of rules, but we're serious about the ones we do have. And one of the ones we've been working on, my son's just active. Sometimes he gets a little overactive, and he'll, and he'll get to wrestling, and he'll do some things that he ought not to do. Well, We were on the playground the other day. I'm going to withhold all the names here. So, uh, uh, but uh, they were wrestling around, and then I saw him. Uh, I was watching him, and I could see him getting worked up. And a wise parent, when I saw him getting a little worked up, I probably should have interceded and said, all right, let's go home, protecting him. But I didn't, and he just went off and just shoved another boy down. I said, that's not good. So I walked over to him, and he saw me, and he saw me coming, and the, and the face changed again. I'm not, uh, not going to shout at him in front of the others. I said, "Abel, you're going to come home with me. Got him in the car. said, Able, I'm going to have to give you a spanking when we get home. I've, I've given him a spanking for these reasons. I told him many times before then, we don't do this, so on and so forth. It's not an unreasonable expectation, right? Not to go shoving all the other kids at church down. Right? That's not unreasonable. So we get home. And this is just how I was taught it. I didn't come up with this method myself. I'm just sharing it with you. When I discipline my son, we go to his bed, and I get him to put his hands on my hands. And then he looks up at me in those beautiful blue eyes, and in that moment, I just want to say, let's go get some ice cream. But (laughs) (laughs) Scripture says, I'm doing this for for 16-year-old Abel. I'm doing this for 25-year-old Abel. I'm doing this for Abel's wife. <laughs> Puts his hands on my hands. Hey, it's not easy. We got a little paddle we use. And I always say, Abel, do you know why I'm giving you a spanking? And he'll sometimes pretend that he doesn't know. He always knows. I'm giving you a spanking because what you did, and I tell, him, tell me what you did. And then I just give him a good little pop on the bottom. Put the board, or the board of education to the seat of learning, right? what we're doing. God's designed children in such a way they have this nice cushy surface for this very purpose. You wondered why you had it. That's why you got it. All right. That's, so. And now I'll tell you, immediately, immediately, as soon as I've spanked him, put the, put the paddle down and I take him in my arms. you got to do that quick. So I take him in my arms and usually at this stage of our life right now he's crying. Sometimes he said, did that hurt? I, can't, I didn't know if that hurt. One little sting, one little pop. And then I take him in my arms, and I tell him again, what you did was wrong. But Daddy loves you. Daddy forgives you. And we're not going to talk about this over and over and over again. And we'll sit there for a minute. Now, why do we do this? Here's a big reason why I did this. Right before Easter, coming up on the Lord's Supper uh, and, and, and uh, celebrating the cross, and Abel's been in Bible study and Sunday school class and, and Wednesday night church. And praise God for all the different ways that my son's learning the Bible. And so we're riding along, going to pre-K, and uh, talking to him about Jesus. And I said, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He said, yeah. Oh, no, I asked him that. And I said, well, what's Easter about? He said, it was when Jesus died from the cross for our sins and, and rose again. I said, well, that's great. I said, "Well, have you ever sinned in your life? He said, yes, sir. I said, well, what's one time that you sinned? Here's what he said. When I pushed that boy down on the playground. If a child's ever going to learn that they need to be saved, first thing they're going to have to learn is I need to be saved. So a father who will discipline his child, what, what a dad's teaching is, here's what you did was wrong. Here's why we need a savior for these reasons. Now, uh, so I don't want to be inconsistent in the discipline. And then I, that opens right on to how the punishment that we deserve and their minds the spanking. All we like sheep have gone astray, but he's laid upon him the iniquity of us all. A couple more minutes. Number eight is when a child has too much freedom. Now, even the children would probably say, no, 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 no don't say that. Right? No, that's not true. It is true. Child's always looking for the boundaries. And if you don't establish any boundaries, they're, just, they're not going to stop trying to find the boundaries. They're just going to keep looking. So you want to have some structure in place. Um, Uh, children who are allowed to do whatever they want, whenever they want to, are not greatly loved. They're actually greatly uncared for, and they know it. Children look for the boundary. They'll get close to the boundary. Sometimes they'll cross over it. But we need to be able to say, here's where it is. You take a child living right here in Rocky Mount. He's currently not having any teaching about what boundaries are about right and wrong, about time management, about discipline. Now, let me ask you this question. Over time, is that child going to thrive? The answer is no. That child's not going to thrive. He'll keep looking for a boundary until somebody's got to tell him where it is. And who knows who that will be. So real freedom does not mean destroying all the boundaries. It means explaining what the boundaries are for and what the benefits are of staying within them. Can you imagine trying to watch a football game with no boundaries? It turned into Chaos. Same thing in life. Unfortunately, that's how some children live. Can you imagine trying to listen to someone bang away on a piano without notes or structure? It's just noise. Boundaries are good things. Number nine. Let's wrap it up. Number nine, hypocrisy. Children become angry if mom and dad are one way at church and another way at home. Confuses them. Leads them to believe that holy things aren't holy. and This is all just one big charade. And all the parents are playing Pretend. So three general rules for parents. Julie and I talk about these once a week at least. We, we quote it to each other. Learned it from Adrian Rogers when we were members of his church, and I think they're good. Three general rules. You do these three things. Generally speaking, it's going to set uh, set set you up fairly well. Number one is to be fair. Be fair. Going back to unreasonable expectations, you just want to be fair. Right? You don't have a standard of behavior for this child, but not that child, or this, that, or the other, or inconsistent. Just be fair. Number two, you want to be firm. You want to teach them to, that your yes means yes, your no means no. When I say come, come, I don't want to I have to play a bunch of games. I'm going to count to ten, and you still don't go, well, now you come, I'm going to give you a sucker. Well, that still didn't work. No, when I say come, come on, obey. Obey your parents and the Lord. This is, this is right. So be fair, and be firm, and then please don't leave out number three. Be fun, all right? Be fun. Get on that floor and wrestle and tickle those children. We have tickle time at our house. I say it's tickle time. Older children got a little little too old for it, but Priscilla, man, she's right in the wheelhouse right now. Gets her bath, comes out, curly hair all over the place. Daddy says, Priscilla, it's tickle time. She gets on that floor, holds those arms up, come in and just tickle, 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 tickle. I want to do it right now. Bring Priscilla up here. We're going to do it. Invitation time. We're going to tickle. Just be fun. Man, laugh with your children. Play with your children. Do fun things with your children. And if you do fun things, when the firm time comes, the firm can be better because you, they, uh, they know you're not just firm all the time. You want to be all three of those things. Now, in conclusion, you, know, so you said that eight times. In conclusion, all this, they're not being provoked to anger so that they can be brought up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You're not going to be able to do, you're not going to be able to bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord in a joyful setting. I mean, I'm talking about bringing them to sincere, authentic faith. We want to have our homes places where children find it easy to come to faith in, in Christ. So the question is, well, how do you do that? How do you, how do you bring them up in dis- discipline and instruction of the Lord? Well, that's what we'll talk about Next Sunday, let's stand together and pray together. Here's what we can do during a time of invitation. Number one, we can celebrate the fact that, that, that God is a perfect father. That all our shame, all our punishment that we rightly deserved, he's put on Christ. We celebrate that. Number two, you might just take the time to pray for your children. Do that where you are. might want to come up. You might want to bring your child up. And sit there and you pray over them. Some of you, some of you, it's hit you. You've got to admit some mistakes to your children. Honey, I'm sorry for this. Sorry for that. So on and so forth. So here's what the word of God says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your mother and father. It's the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you in the land and your days in the land may be long. fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Father, help us now in a time of invitation to celebrate who you are as God the Father, to worship you, to adore you, to look to you, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you that you covered our shame and our guilt, that what we sang about earlier is true. We've been free. We've been forgiven. Father, I pray that you'd help us through your word understand how guilty we really were so that the cleansing forgiveness that we find in Christ would be life to us because we understand how serious the crime, the sin was, and how glorious the sin offering of Christ has been for us. Father, thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. You are our helper. We can confidently say we will not fear. Father, for specifically what we've talked about this morning, for the children, what precious children are at Calvary Baptist Church. We pray that they're not being provoked to anger in the homes. Help us, Father. Parenting gets hard work. There are no hours. There's no clock to punch in and out of. It's constant. But help us also remember this season of life is very short. And these are critically important days in the hearts of the little ones that you've entrusted to us. So, Father, help us as we respond to you to do so in a way that's appropriate, that's prayerful, that's honoring to you. In Jesus' name, amen.